Good morning again. My name is Scott Grant, one of the pastors and elders here at the church. And uh, let me also welcome you to be with us this morning. We're beginning a new series in the book of Ezra. If you're unfamiliar with the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament, that's um, a not so prominent book uh, back there. But we at PBC like to dive into all sorts of things that are in the scriptures and uh, to see what the Lord has for us. So let me give you a little bit of history, first of all, on the book of Ezra. We've got to go to the history of Israel. So Israel's rescued by the Lord from Egypt. They go to the wilderness and they eventually settle in the promised land. Once they're settled in the promised land, they divide into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. However, both kingdoms are prone to idolatry. They persist in idolatry. They are warned constantly by the prophets and by the Lord himself, don't go off into idolatry. And what they do, what do they do? They go off into idolatry. So eventually, what does the Lord do? He raises up uh, Assyria, which conquers the northern kingdom in 722 BC. And then he raises up Babylon, another opposing empire, and they conquer the southern kingdom in 586 BC. And the Babylonians destroy the temple of God, which the people had built to honor him and to recognize his presence. So what happens now? The people, go off, the people in the southern kingdom, that's two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, they go off into exile, most of them anyway. They go off, to, go, go off into exile in Babylon. And then what does the Lord do? He raises up another kingdom. This is the kingdom of Persia. And Persia conquers Babylon. And Persia has a different outlook on all of this. And Persia then allows the people of God to return from Babylon to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. So that's your dime store history lesson for this morning to give you a brief context for what we're looking at in the book of Ezra. So it's a story of return and rebuild. They are returning to the promised land and they are rebuilding the temple. And this is what uh, Cyrus, the king of Persia, allows them to do. And we're going to see that in our text this morning. So um, return and rebuild, it's, uh, it's really kind of like what we're doing, isn't it? Uh, we've been in an exile of sorts in the pandemic. The pandemic has sent us into a sort of exile, and we have returned, although in stages, and that's how they return in the book of Ezra as well, in stages. And uh, we too are uh, engaged in rebuilding, and there's a lot of new things that are happening around here. And... Uh, and we have this great community that God has given us, and, and, and we need to return and to rebuild. Now, returning in terms of in-person worship is a little bit complicated these days. A recent survey done by Transforming the Bay with Christ indicates that only 42% of worshipers in the Bay Area have actually returned to in-person worship services. So it's a challenge. Many people are staying away for good reasons, and we understand that. It's one of the reasons we're doing the online services. On the other hand, we had a newcomer's lunch last Sunday that was very exciting. We had more than 51 people in person having lunch and we were sharing the vision of PBC. It was all very exciting. So we are really believing that the Lord is doing great things here. Many people have returned. Many people are online. 
We know that, and we want to continue live streaming for you, but we do want you to be aware that we have three different options here in person, one at 11 a.m., uh, 9 a.m. inside, one at 11 a.m. Uh, inside also, and also at 11 a.m. outside on the patio for those of you who want to stay outside, keep the virus at bay and all of that. So we have these options for you here as we endeavor to return and rebuild. So they went to, the Israelites rebuilt the temple or started to rebuild the temple. And the, the correspondence to that is not any structure today. Because in the New Testament, we know that God dwells in and among his people. So we are the temple. We are the people of God, the temple of God. We are the place where the spirit of God dwells. And so when we talk about rebuilding, we're not talking so much about rebuilding a structure, although we've done a little bit of rebuilding the structure, but it's not about the building, it's about the people. And the book of Ezra has much to say about community building. So we wanna build into our community. That's what we're talking about when we are talking about rebuilding. Our sign out front says, Peninsula Bible Church meets here. Brian Shu last week made mention of that, and our sermon this morning has much in common with what Brian was talking about last week. So it's not about the building, it's about the people. We are the church, the church is not the building. That has always been the case at PBC, and it will continue to be the case. But as we return and rebuild, we face challenges. The challenges are immense. We've had to make all sorts of adjustments on the fly in order to return and in order to rebuild. The people of God in Ezra's day felt uh, all sorts of challenges. And so we need the word of God. May the word of God, may God use his word in the book of Ezra to help us return and rebuild. When I was 28 years old, I, uh, I felt what I now call the stirring of the spirit. I had come to Christ at age 16, but uh, to be honest with you, I didn't sort of do all that much with, us, with it other than go to Bible studies and go to church services. This is one of the churches I came to, and, uh, and, and, and everything was great, and I think uh, a lot of great things happened, but right around the age 28, I, all of a sudden I felt desperately almost that I had to do something more with this. Uh, there, there, and, and I didn't ask for this. I didn't go seeking it. It just came to me unbidden. Something irrepressible was happening inside of me that had to get out of me. I couldn't really define it other than to know that I had to do something. You ever felt like that? Or maybe you feel that way now? The question for me at that point in my life was, I feel this so strongly, but what do I do with it? Well, let's look at Ezra chapter 1. Let's uh, look, first of all, at the first four verses. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, we talked about him, remember, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. 
And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So it's the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. That would be uh, 538 B.C., and then uh, the Lord makes sure that the word of the Lord is fulfilled. The word that came through Jeremiah is fulfilled. The word came through Jer- Jeremiah saying that, there was, that Babylon was going to face a downfall and that the people of God were going to be able to return from exile. That's the word of the Lord that came through Jeremiah. Now the, word, now the Lord ensures that his word through Jeremiah is going to be fulfilled. But it's fulfilled in a very strange way because it's fulfilled by a pagan king a pagan king who seems to have the God of Israel in there somewhere in addition to his gods and whoever, however many other gods he is worshiping. But he uses a pagan king to do this. And the the pagan king says that, really invokes the whole idea that the Lord, the God of Israel, is with his people. The Lord is with his people. In order to do this, in order to return from exile, which is challenging, in order to rebuild the temple, which is challenging. So this has all the earmarks, by the way, of a new exodus. So God rescued the people from Egypt. We, a lot of people know about that. And that's called the exodus. And then they go into the promised land and now they're exiled from the promised land. Now the return from exile is written as if it is something along the lines of a new exodus. We see here that the Lord fulfills his word often in unexpected ways. He fulfilled it through Cyrus, a pagan king. And we can, we can look forward to the New Testament. We, we can look forward to the Gospel of Luke. And there's a pagan king in power by the name of Caesar Augustus. He issues a decree that all the world should be registered. What happens because of that? This young couple has to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem where the woman gives birth to a child whose name is Jesus. God uses a pagan king. And then there's another pagan ruler who is is ruling in Palestine at the time when Jesus grows up, and his name is Pontius Pilate, and he orders the crucifixion of Jesus. Do you think God used that for anything? So God fulfills his word often in unexpected ways. And here it is the pagan king who says that God is with his people. God is with us. This is, 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 is an oft-repeated um, saying throughout the scriptures that God is with us. Richard Foster uh, says that uh, the life that we have is called a with God life. God is with us. So, uh, and then when Jesus comes on the scene, he is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then when he calls his 12 disciples in the Gospel of Mark, he calls the disciples, first of all, to be with him, to be in relationship with him. And that's what we are called as well. We are called to be with God, with Jesus, in relationship. With him. So the first order of business, of course, is to cultivate that relationship. But it's not as if God or Jesus simply wants us to stand around and, and think and to pray and to read the scriptures and, and do all that and draw near to him in that way. It's important that we do that. But Jesus also calls his disciples so that he might send them out to serve his purposes. 
So God is with us. In what sense? For us to be with him in relationship, but also so that he might send us out to serve his purposes. So God is with us then. As we think about returning and rebuilding, God is with us. How so? Let's look at verses 5 through 11. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus the king of Persia brought these out in the charge of Mithredath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. And this was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, and 1,000 other vessels. All the vessels of gold of silver were 5,400. All these Sheshbazar, all all these did Sheshbazar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. So we saw in the first section that God stirred in Cyrus, the the pagan king. Now we see in the second section that God stirs in the Israelites as well. For what purpose? All for the purpose of returning from exile to rebuild the temple. And then uh, Cyrus makes provision for the vessels, the vessels that were in the temple in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, confiscated those vessels, and now those vessels are going to return courtesy of Cyrus, the king of Persia, who has conquered Babylon. So we see it's very interesting if you look at sort of all the biblical history about who God raises up. God raised up, first of all, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon For what purpose? To conquer the Israelites because they had gone off into idolatry for decades and centuries. Then what what does God do? Well, God raises up another pagan king who is Cyrus to do what? To conquer the Babylonians so that the people can return. So God just has this very interesting hand throughout history as he moves all sorts of people into place to accomplish his purposes. Now, what we have to take account of here is the word all in this text. And the word all is translated in different ways. It's whoever, sometimes it's each. But it has to do with all the people of God. All the people of God here are are involved in this, specifically all the people in whom the Spirit stirs them to do something. Everyone has a part to play. Now, we know from the perspective of the New Testament now that the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in a building. He dwells in us and among us. And we know that for those who believe in Jesus, and you have to believe in Jesus, folks, the Spirit takes up residence within you. So the Spirit is here with us now, dwelling in us and among us. And then we have to believe then, in the context of Ezra, that God is with us by his Spirit as we return and rebuild our community here. So God is with us. How is he with us? Now, here's an important concept that we have to understand from the New Testament. God is with us in that he not only dwells within each of us, he has gifted each of us. He has given each of us spiritual gifts in order to build into the community. 
in order to build into the church, in order to build into the body of Christ. Now, we could go to probably about four different places, key places in the New Testament to look at this, but I want to highlight two particular sections. First of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. This is the most succinct verse we have in the scriptures about spiritual gifts, right? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Key words here, each and common good. Everyone is gifted. Everyone has been given a gift or gifts in order to build up the body of Christ for the sake of the common good. Now that's pretty succinct, pretty compact. Let me give you something that's a little more complex. Uh, this is Ephesians chapter four, verses 15 and 16. This is Paul's summary of spiritual gifts in Ephesians chapter four. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by what? Every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So each has been given a gift in order to build, in order to build up the body of Christ. So let me summarize all of this for you. Each believer, each of us, is uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit to do the work of the ministry which involves serving one another and building up the body of Christ or building up the church so that the body of Christ or the church can carry out the ministry of Christ, both to the church and to the world. Let me say that again, just so that we get it, okay? Each of us has been uniquely gifted by the Spirit to carry out the work of the ministry, which involves serving one another and building into the community so that the community can carry out the work of Christ both in the church and to the world. So now that raises the question, if you are gifted and everyone is gifted, do you need to know how you're gifted? I don't think so. And for several reasons, let me say this, first of all. There, there is no directive in the New Testament that tells you, hey, you gotta go search for your spiritual gifts. You have, to, you, know, you have to go looking for them. There's nothing in the New Testament that tells us we have to do that. There's nothing in the New Testament that tells us we have to find how we're gifted. You would think that if it was really important that one of the biblical authors would have actually put some sort of commandment in there along those lines. But we're not given any sort of uh, commandment. And, um, and so the, the, all these gifts are listed in different places. And you think if it was really important that one church would know what all the gifts are that one of the biblical authors would have seen fit to list all the gifts in one particular place so that this church says, so this church can say, hey, here are all the gifts, and so I can like, pick the one that, I'm, that, that I have so that I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. Uh, but we need to know, of course, that all are gifted. Now, I think the Spirit reveals to you what you need to know when you need to know it concerning how you're gifted. And, and there's no way we have of knowing, for example, whether all the gifts are actually listed. And all the, you put the list together from all the different lists, you put them all together, and you got one list, one giant list. We don't know for sure whether all the gifts are listed. We don't know that. They may be, but we don't know it for sure. So I don't think you have to really go on a painstaking search to find out how you're gifted. 
So, for, for example, I've heard many people through the years tell me, I think I'm gifted with hospitality. I think the Lord has given me the spiritual gift of hospitality. And on, on the one hand, I could say, well, okay, let's go look in the scriptures for the spiritual gift of hospitality. And you know what? It's not there. It's not listed there. In fact, on three different occasions in the New Testament, we hear that we are all to show hospitality. Nevertheless, I think some people are gifted in a special way with hospitality. So is there a gift of hospitality? It's not listed here. It's not mentioned. But I think, you know, you look around, you say, yeah, this person really loves hosting per people. And it's, I walk into this person's home and I feel like I'm at home. I think maybe there's a gift of hospitality. Nevertheless, we're all supposed to show hospitality. So what's the upshot, upshot then? I would say two things. Number one, seek to serve. Just have that sort of as your default fallback position. There are times when you need to take a break. There are times and seasons when you need to pray and, and consider things and am I in the right place and all that. But have it as your default position that you're seeking to serve. Number one, seek to serve. Number two, watch for the Spirit. Watch for how the Spirit moves in your heart. Watch for how the Spirit moves in people. Watch for how the Spirit opens doors and closes doors. You may feel like I really want to do this, but the door just doesn't open. Watch for what gives you joy. Watch for how people respond to you. Do they say that they're blessed when you do this? Perhaps that's something you should consider and continue along those lines. So uh, around here at, at PBC, as I said, we believe that everyone is gifted, but we, we believe that the Spirit motivates and the Spirit gifts and the Spirit orchestrates. Therefore, we don't need to coerce. We don't use, <laughs> we shouldn't use guilt trips around here. <laughs> we don't want to use guilt trips. I'm sure sometimes we, we lapse into that, but that's not what we want to do. We want to present opportunities, but we really want to trust the Spirit to work. If the Spirit is gifted, if the Spirit motivates, if the Spirit orchestrates, we just have to present, and we give opportunities to serve. So... Um, let me say this, let me present an opportunity then without coercing at all. Um, one of the things I think we want to do as we return and rebuild is build into our kids and build into our youth. They have been through an awful lot in the last year and a half, haven't they? In school, out of school, online, trying to relate to people you can't relate to. They've been through an awful lot. And so... Um, we have some great youth ministries and great children's ministry. They're great opportunities to get involved with the youth ministry, with the high school ministry, uh, with the junior high ministry, middle school ministry, I guess it's called now, and with the kids' ministry, with Awana on Sunday mornings, and all, all these kinds of opportunities are out there. And I think it's a really important thing that we build into our youth. You know, if you, I've read these surveys through the years, and one survey, survey I remember indicated that 80% of those people who come to Christ in the United States of America do so before the age of 18. That's a pretty high number. 80% before 18 come to Christ. And then there's also a discouraging survey which says something like this. Most people who grow up in the church after they leave that church at some point leave Christ also. So one of the things that we want to do is while we have them here... <laughs> 
We want to build into them. You may think it's preaching to the choir. It's not. It's evangelism. If so many people are leaving the church, at some point, we want to give them every good reason to know Christ and how great Christ is. So we have an opportunity here at this church to to build into our young people and to pray for them. If you're not involved actively, you can obviously pray as well. Uh, So uh, when I was 28 years old and I felt this stirring in me, I felt that there was something in me that had to get out of me. I really didn't know what to do about it. And so I began praying about it. But then the Lord began putting a few things together. The Lord orchestrates. Um, I got a job in Pleasanton over in the East Bay working for the Contra Costa Times. I think now it's called the East Bay Times, working as an editor there. At the same time that I got a job in Pleasanton, my former youth pastor, who I hadn't seen in seven years, moved from Washington to guess where? Pleasanton to begin starting youth ministry again. He had moved beyond youth ministry, he thought, and then he went up to pastor a couple of churches in Washington. That didn't work out so well. Came back to California, decided to come to Pleasanton, to a church there, and begin youth ministry. We arrived there about the same time. I hadn't seen him in seven years. I called him up. We got together, and I told Conrad about all of this stuff that was burning inside of me. And he said, well, why don't you come to the youth group tonight? (laughs) And so I, I did. And I was kind of scared to do the whole thing. I walked into the high school youth group, and it looked to me like it was a human pinball machine. I mean, kids were bouncing off each other, literally. And I was really scared and intimidated by the whole thing. But I came back the next week, and the week after that, and the week after that. And before that, I started forming relationships with the kids. And not long after that, Conrad said, uh, you know, you've been going to church for a long time, and You've been uh, going to Bible studies. Why don't you try, why don't you try to teach a Bible study to these, to these kids? I said, okay, I don't know how to do that. But once I started to sit down to do it, I, I knew a lot more than I thought I did because I'd been coming to churches for so long and going to so many Bible studies. And, and once I started studying and teaching, I was totally captivated by it. And then I started spending all this time counseling high school students. And before I knew it, I was actually spending more time doing this youth ministry than I was doing my real job. It was all because the Spirit had been stirring in me and I believed the Spirit had gifted me. I didn't really understand that until then. And I saw God opening these incredible doors. So God gifts, he motivates, he orchestrates. What are you seeing in your life? What have you seen? What do you see now? How is the Spirit moving in you? What doors is he opening for you or closing? So I'm I'm involved and have been involved in multiple ministries here at the church. And let me just highlight two of them for you. Uh, Two of them that have been a really a great blessing to me. First of all is the Seniors Bible Study. See Laura out there and a few others who are involved in the Seniors Bible Study. Now, so when the pandemic hit some 18 months ago, We used to meet over here in Fellowship Hall. We had to stop meeting for a a week or two. And then uh, I see Wesley and Julie over here, just great people. And Wesley and Julie called me up and said, you know, we can do this Bible study over the phone if you want. We can connect people over the phone. I said, really? You can do a Bible study over the phone? I, I was heartbroken when this thing had to stop because it's a lifeline for a lot of people. 
a lot of our, our older adults. This is a lifeline for them. I could, they said, yeah, okay, let's do it. Okay, so, they, so Julie's on there every week with the phone, and I'm on the phone, and we're doing this Bible study over the phone. I don't know how it's happening, but it's happening. And so they're able to connect through the phone. We're able to do a Bible study through the phone. Eventually, we were able to do Zoom. But, uh, and so that was great, but not all of the seniors kind of have the computers and the technology to do Zoom, so we have to continue doing the phone call. So Julie's continuing to coordinate the phone call, and we got Zoom at the same time, doing an interactive Bible study. Then eventually we're able to come back to Fellowship Hall, but not everybody's able to come back. Obviously, this is in a vulnerable population, right? Some of them need to stay at home. And so now we're doing an interactive Bible study in person, We've got some in person, we've, some got, we've got some on the phone, and we've got some on Zoom. So how does this whole thing work? I don't know, but it's, it works. <laughs> it, it, and it's an interactive thing. It's a work of art, which means it's a work of the Spirit. And then uh, Marianne Strickfadden came to me when this whole technology thing started happening. She says, you know, I could be your tech support for this. Because I'm thinking, how is this going to work? How, I, I, all I can do is open the Bible and teach. And then Marianne says, I'll be the tech support. So we're, she's able to make this work. All I do is I just go, on, go there on Wednesday mornings. I open the Bible and I start talking. And, and Julie's on the phone and, and Marianne's working the, working the wires or whatever she does. And, we, and, and the seniors' Bible study has actually grown during the pandemic. It's an amazing thing. Because people are serving. People are being moved by the Spirit to serve. They love people. They love this church. They want to serve. No, I didn't ask anybody. It just happened. One other ministry, the fall retreat. It's coming up next week. There's this amazing team of, of 10 people. And to be honest with you, I don't do that much. But I'm the only pastor there. I'm the one who's get, only one who gets paid for this. But these people, they love the church. and They want to serve the church. And they see the great ministry that the fall retreat is. It connects people of all generations. And we've faced special challenges, obviously, this year. The emails are flying all over the place to try to figure out how we're going to make this whole thing work. It's really an awesome thing to see. And, and each year at the fall retreat, I, I just sit back and marvel because all of these people, what are they doing? They're using their gifts. They're serving the Lord. They're setting the stage for the Spirit to work, to do powerful things in people. And it's really a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. So let me say this, however. I want to make sure that we're not coercing. I want to make sure that we're not guilt-tripping. Because really, if you're gifted by the Spirit, and you are, it's not so much about plugging into a hole as it is a way of life. So you don't have to serve in an official church ministry or anything like that. You're gifted. God's going to lead. And maybe he's going to lead in, in ways that have nothing to do with really serving so much in this church. And he's creative as well. I, I, in conclusion, I just want to say this is, this is really just so beautiful. It's beautiful when you see it in the scriptures. And then when you see it in action, when you see the people of God mobilized by the Spirit to serve him, to serve the community, to serve the world, it is an absolutely beautiful, stunning thing to see. All right, let me close with our theme verse for this morning. Verse 5. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. What did they do? They rose up. 
Rise up, Peninsula Bible Church. Return and rebuild.